Let me ask you something. Do you know what a lie is? Hmm? A lie? Yeah. What is it? It's when you don't tell the truth and you do something bad. And what happens when you tell a lie? You get in trouble. This is five-year-old Patrick Morrissey. Five hours before this footage was recorded, Patrick was at home where he lived with his adoptive parents, Kay and Joe Morrissey. Patrick was lying in bed, his eyes closed, but he was only pretending to sleep. That night, Patrick saw something he should never have seen. I know earlier you said you knew something about uh, some robbers or something. On April 5th, 2010, the Morrissey family's picture-perfect life took a disturbing turn for the worst when five-year-old Patrick woke up to the sound of his parents screaming. And he put these little, um, crying things on my mom and my dad mm-hmm. so they couldn't walk. Patrick witnessed the nightmare that will be known as the worst case of home invasion the state of Florida has ever seen. And at only five years old, he will become the only person who could save his mom and put an end to the killer's reign of terror. Wow, you're like a hero. My mom's dead. Plantation, Florida, April 5th, 2010. A horrible crime shatters the middle upper class neighborhood just outside of Fort Lauderdale. The address? 601 Northwest on 75th Terrace. The Morrissey Residence. It's 10 p.m. Joe Morrissey dozed off in front of the TV. His wife Kay is still awake, working in her craft room. Their five-year-old son Patrick is sleeping in the master bedroom. Something is about to wake him up. Crossing a dispatch on a residential fire alarm. The residence must be Morrissey and O.R. Two hours later, a little past midnight, Kay's daughter Christina, who lives 10 minutes away, wakes up to her cell phone ringing. Unusual for the late hour. I was about to not answer it, and something told me to pick up the phone. On the other end is her mother, but she can barely hear her with all the sirens and chaos. She was just like, you have to come here, you have to get here right now. As she arrives, the road is blocked off. Christina jumps out of the car and runs down the street, pushing the officers out of the way just to get to her mother. I saw her standing in the middle of the road in her pajamas, completely covered in blood, and I just remember thinking how small she looked and how helpless she looked. Kay is in shock, confused. She cries out the words, he's gone, he's gone. But Christina has no idea who she means. I thought she was talking about the people who had gotten to the house. And I said, it's okay, they'll find them. And she goes, no, 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 Joe is gone. They killed him. As she holds her mom in her arms, Christina can see the flames and smoke rising from the house. She learns that Patrick is staying with the neighbors, but she can't imagine what he went through. You've been married for how long? Um, 13 years. I'm going to be 14 this year. While Kay Morrissey is being interrogated, her son Patrick is sitting alone in the next room, waiting for someone to come ask him questions. It might be just easier to start with what happened from the beginning last night. I was in my craft room, and the TV was on, and I heard a noise, like something fall down. I look up, I saw him. As the interrogation progresses, Kay Morrissey's credibility is challenged. The only other eyewitness is brought in for questioning. Five-year-old Patrick. Investigators hope he can prove if his mom is telling the truth. 
All right, Patrick. Let me ask you something. All right? Yeah. Do you know what a lie is? Hmm? A lie? Yeah. What is it? It's when you don't tell the truth and you do something bad. And what happens when you tell a lie? You, you get in trouble. I know earlier you said you knew something about uh, some robbers or something. Yeah. Well, like what? Robert attacked our house and my dad died. Patrick doesn't fully understand that his father is dead, that the man who adopted him is not coming back. Do another somersault so I can take a picture. Oh my God. He was a very hands-on father. He was always doing something with Patrick, all the time. Um, did you see, did, were you awake when this happened or were you sleeping? Sleeping, you but I woke up myself. Oh yeah, and, and when you- And he put a gun on my mom and dad's head. April 6th, less than 24 hours after the crime, Randy Tundidor, a 43-year-old father of two boys, is sitting at home watching TV when someone knocks at the door. He opens to find Detective Kendall from the Plantation Police Department. The guy that is renting the townhouse is suing us because he said he slept on the stairs. The man Detective Kendall finds at the townhouse looks frail and ill. He wears an oxygen mask and walks with a limp. He has a history for being a professional tenant. Detective Kendall can tell Mr. Tundidor is not in any condition to have committed the home invasion. It's clear to him this is not the man Kay saw the night before. What's his name? Randy Tundidor. P-U-N-D as in David. Mm -hmm. I-D-O-R. Without any other lead on finding another suspect, Kendall has to rely on the only information Kay has given them. His interrogation at the Tundidor residence is recorded. Have you ever had any dealings with Mr. Morrissey other than being a tenant? Yeah, well, right now I'm suing him because I fell down the stairs in the house because of lack of repairs. He stopped talking to me because of the lawsuit. When I met him, it seemed like a gentleman. What time did you come home last night? Uh, I was home most of the night. Did you call anybody? Actually, my son called me. He needed money, but I won't help him. Which son? Uh, Randy Jr. Um, first off, he's wanted by the law. Secondly, this is a crack at it. When police learn Randy Tundidor Jr. also has an outstanding warrant for parole violation, they ask his father where they can find him. Okay, Randy. I'm going to read you your rights. All right, where, where's the camera, the recorder, where's that? It's being recorded. Okay. Randy Jr. seemed composed, very interested to know what information I had about the case. Very, very willing to talk to me. I don't have no connection with this murder. I don't know who did it. I want to clear my name because I did not commit this murder. The interview goes on for hours, but Detective Kendall is unable to tell if Randy is guilty or not. When Kendall tells him how they linked him to the crime, he doesn't seem surprised of what his father told them. I did call my dad. You know, he's he's been a good father. Like he tries to direct me the right way and I go the wrong way, you know. He he's really a good man. He's a very hard worker. He's a stand-up guy. He would never do nothing like this. Honestly, I think you may be involved in it. Okay. That's why we let's gotta clear the air. And I understand. <laughs> you know what I mean? That we definitely gotta clear that. Yeah. The person of interest in the case of the professor killed is still in police custody tonight. Tundidor's father had little to say outside his shop. He's my son. I love him to death. And I'm going to support him to the end. 
the investigation is heading into a dead end. Police are unable to put Randy Tundidor Jr. at the crime scene. And what's worse is that according to Kay Morrissey, there was also a second person there that night. It was like a two-way radio, and he would talk back to it. And, and Who were the people talking to him on? He didn't let them. He said, just listen to me, don't talk to me. Police have only one suspect and no motive. And the more time passes, the more the chances of finding out what happened decreases. Without any further evidence, Joe Morrissey's murder would remain unsolved. April 14th, the funeral is held on a Wednesday morning at the St. Gregory Great Catholic Church. My mom, she did not want his memory to be attached to that night. So that was why she insisted on it being a closed casket. I did not want Patrick to see his dad um, in that condition at all. Patrick had a very difficult time understanding. He thought that he would look at an airplane and says, my daddy's on that airplane, he's coming home. That was very hard for me. Literally, my heart was just in pieces. As the days pass, Patrick begins to notice that his dad isn't around anymore. Already at five years old, he begins to show signs of PTSD. But no one knows exactly what it is he saw. I appreciate you calling us like that. You understand you're not under arrest. You're right. And you're here on your own free will. Detective Kendall gets a phone call no one could have predicted. Randy Tundador Sr.'s second son, Sean, comes in with a shocking revelation. You called us, you said that you know your brother, you know he's a lot of things, but you know he's not capable of murder. You said that you had some knowledge of... uh, Basically, I'm going to tell you straight up, my dad did it. This bombshell information changes everything. Sean now has the detective's full attention. That morning, Randy, my brother, turned on the news and... First thing when I turn on murder implantation, any of this women, women, whatever, whatever. Brother gets up and he walks to the back porch and starts smoking a cigarette. And I don't know, your family, you get instincts. You're not stupid. You know sure. your family. You know what I'm okay. saying? So I walked out in the back and I said, bro, tell me you had nothing to do with that. And he said, go talk to dad. So I walked upstairs. I said, Pa, I said, you seen the news? He said, you need to shut up. He said, I'll kill you if I have to. I knew. Right, right when I saw that headline on that news, I, I knew it was them. So I asked my dad, I said, well, what happened? And his words were, a dead man can't evict me. He's been a good father. Like he, he, He's really a good man. He's a very hard worker. He's a stand-up guy. He would never do nothing like this. He's going to do anything and everything he has to do to make sure my father is here because he loves him. Sean, Randy Jr.'s younger brother, comes forward against his father. What he doesn't know is that his older brother Randy is in the next room, about to confess the same crime. How many of you said it's been a lot? Your dad's your crying. Why is my dad crying? Because of what you did. Come on, dude. I feel bad for your dad. Seriously, what happened? Dude, tell me. You'll feel so much better if you tell me. I didn't kill my buddy, man. Is Randy Jr. just taking the fall to protect his father? Would his father do the same? He's my son, I love him to death, and I'm gonna support him to the end. I just wanted, I wanted the truth to come out and I wanted him to pay for it. My father used to beat us bad. I mean, really beat us. One of the craziest guys you ever met. They used to call him Rampage. They used to call him Scarface because he had a big ass scar on his face. He says he, he, they caught him, not me. So, uh, fix this or I will. 
Come on, it's common sense, boss. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, my son's already caught, so I won't go to jail. Let me just throw everything on. Mm -hmm. Nah, you can't let that happen. Yeah. I told him I could prove it. And they told me how, and I told him, give me a wire. What if I can get my father on tape stating that he killed the guy? Give me two hours with him. I'll find anything you want. Detectives agree to give Sean a recording device hidden inside a car key. That same night, Sean confronts his father at home. With one hand in his pocket, he activates the device and begins to question his dad. He knows the man has already murdered someone, and he remembers the threat he made him. He said, you need to shut up. He said, because I'll kill you if I have to. I mean, I was scared, but I wanted my dad to pay for what he did to his family. For two stressful hours, Sean probes his father, pretending to be concerned for both his well-being as well as his brother's. The next morning, he returns the device to the police station, convinced he was able to get enough evidence to convict his father. But what he doesn't know is, did the device record at all? When police attempt to download the audio files, this is what they hear. There was a lot of background noise, whether it didn't record properly or there was some sort of obstruction in the recording. It makes them question if they missed a golden opportunity or if Sean was telling the truth. Finally, the audio reveals the conversation Sean had with his father. Police are about to discover the real mastermind behind the murder. On the night of April 5th, 2010, Randy Tundador Sr. went to his eldest son, Randy Jr., a young man desperate to make his father proud, and he manipulated him to break into Joe Morrissey's house. My dad pulls out a hundred worth of crack, and he tells him to smoke it. When it was done, he told my brother he has a customer's house they can go rob and get cash and buy all the crack he wants. Now, you're not asking my brother that. You're asking a crackhead that when they search the premises of the shop called Gator Tint, which is owned by Randy Sr., they find more than just the computer from the Morrissey house. Zip ties, recently disposed of in the trash container. An empty box of a hunting knife's two-way radios, like the ones the killer used. And this little thing that he kept talking, that kept beeping, and he would talk back to it. And Foreign currency bills left in a bucket, the same that was declared stolen at the Morrissey residence. And then he was saying, where's the wallet? I want the wallet. In the parking lot, detectives also find burnt marks on the ground, which leads them to believe someone disposed of possible incriminating evidence. That same day, Randy Tundador Sr. opens his front door to police officers, this time with a warrant for his arrest. Detective Kendall calls Kay to share the news that both Randy Tundador Sr. and his son Randy Jr. are in custody and awaiting trial. I was going to be there for the trials, even if they told me that I really didn't have to be there, I was there. So I wasn't only standing there for Joe, I was also standing there for Patrick. I wanted to see justice. April 2012, the trial begins. The judge and jury are presented with the facts about the case evidence surrounding the murder of Joseph Morrissey and the attempted murder of his wife and son, but no one knows yet the details of what the family went through. 
Although Patrick is too young to testify, the jury is shown his interrogation footage. For the first time, Patrick's ordeal is shared with the world. His story begins two years earlier, on the night of April 5th. I know earlier you said you knew something about uh, some robbers or something? Yeah. At around 11.30 at night, Patrick is awoken by screaming in the family room. Alone in his parents' bed, he can hear his mom and dad pleading with a stranger. Patrick is terrified. He lays quietly under the covers, while listening attentively to what is happening in the other room. When he hears the front door close, the house falls silent. For what seems like an eternity, Patrick stays quiet, frozen by fear. He lies motionless in the spot his father sleeps in. Yet, his parents are gone. He doesn't know where. At that point, he said he wanted to go to the ATM to get money out. He goes, remember, if you do anything stupid, I have the gun and I have your kid and I have your husband and your kids with people back there. At home, Patrick hears footsteps outside his window, but doesn't dare look. He hides under the blanket until he hears the front door open again. When he recognizes his parents' voices, he stands up in the bed, ready to run after them. But instead, he sees them being forced into the master bedroom with towels on their heads. His mom is crying, terrified. Patrick can see the man threatening them has a gun as the man tells them to kneel beside the bed. And you put these little, um, tying things on my mom and my dad mm-hmm. so they couldn't walk. And then Patrick doesn't understand what's happening. His parents can't see him, but as his dad kneels at his side, Joe Morrissey speaks to his son and asks him calmly, Patrick, just lay down and pretend that you're asleep. Please, do it for daddy. These will become Joe Morrissey's last words to his son before his murder. Then the guy came over and said to um, said to Joe um, that he, he, had to, he had to go with him. As Joe is taken into the family room, Patrick continues to pretend, like his father asked, but he can still hear him when his father begs for his family's life. And then, silence. Even when the man was dying, he was fighting for his life and trying to protect my mom and Patrick. For a long while, Patrick lays on his side, with his eyes closed. He can hear his mom next to him, crying, but he doesn't move. All he can do is listen, hoping to hear his father's voice again. But he never does. In the stillness of the house, Patrick starts to hear the flickering flames of a fire in the kitchen when his mom wakes him up. She's still tied up at her ankles and wrists, and Patrick is the only one who can save her. He runs to his mother's craft room through the rising smoke and grabs a pair of scissors to cut her bonds. I saved my mom and got the scissors to cut those. Wow, you're like a hero. My mom said. In the courtroom, Patrick's account of what happened to Joe Morrissey and his family has left everyone speechless. The night he lost his father, the loving man who adopted him, Patrick followed in his footsteps and saved his mom's life. He didn't know it back then, but he would have made his father proud. I was like so... I was scared. He never answered me. I kept calling him and he didn't answer me. As Kay leaves the stand, it's now Randy Tundador Jr.'s turn to speak. To everyone's surprise, not only does he confess to the crimes, but he also testifies against his own father. The fact that he would sit here and say that it was me and my brother who did this and planned this, I feel like that's wrong. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do anything to hurt your kids. I think that 
father's job is to protect his kids, not to hurt his kids. Randy Tundador Sr. betrayed his own sons to save himself, while Joe Morrissey shielded his family before his death. The verdict is unanimous. Randy Jr. is sentenced to 40 years in prison for his role in Joe Morrissey's death. His father, Randy Sr., is found guilty of 10 felony charges, including arson, armed robbery, kidnapping, attempted murder, and first-degree murder. He is sentenced to death. I remember the bailiff putting the handcuffs after he was found guilty, and the click of those handcuffs is something that I still don't forget. Sean has lost everything, his brother and father, because he chose to do the right thing for Patrick and his mom. But in doing so, he also broke his father's cycle of abuse. I'm proud of Sean. I'm not sure if we would have had Randy Sr. convicted if we didn't have that recording. Sean Tindador is a very brave person. In all of this hatred, he was trying to do a little bit of good. If you think I'm a snitch and I didn't do the right thing, then you're just as bad as the guy that committed that murder. So I don't care. As for Patrick and his mom, their lives are what pays tribute to Joe Morrissey. I definitely feel Patrick is my hero. He not only saved my life, but also helped me save his life. They continue to support each other and will not let a father's sacrifice be forgotten. I wanted other people to see that they can survive. And I think my son also does the same thing. Patrick and his mom Kay are living proof that, even after tragedy, there's a life worth living.